Chapter 30 Yes, how did you know that? He took another nervous sip from the glass. His face took on a waxy sheen, and he'd broken out in a light sweat under the stress. I know, Laura. His face fell and clattered to the ground, weighed down by the guilt of failed promises. I tore the page from the notebook and started again, this time paying attention. Where did you meet this Millie? She was in town attending a relative's funeral. I asked who the deceased was because in a small town you get to know everyone. She said the relative was Makala Konstein. I'd never heard of her, so I let it pass. She looked like a dream come true, which made everything else irrelevant. Did you chase up this Makala? Not at first. Millie got a bit funny when I asked, and she threatened to leave, so I backed off the Inquisition. I sighed. He had some cockamamie story about a woman with a half-baked name with the most desperate and unbelievable reasons to talk to me. He was acting like an idiot and expected some miracle cure from me. I put down my pen and folded my arms. Why are you here? I've run out of options. I hate my life in all possible ways. I've got two options. They said you could help people forget. Me? Who said that? Millie. I don't know your Millie. I leaned forward and stared at him, watching his face. She knows you. Not where you are, but she said she's been searching for you and had been all her life. And she said you and her were gonna fix things. Never heard of her, never met her. I do know her, I have a photograph. He reached into his jacket and pulled out an old sepia photograph that looked deliberately arranged and placed it on the desk in front of me. She carried it around with her. I sometimes caught her staring at it when she thought she was alone. I picked up the photograph and looked at it. It wasn't a mirror. I didn't get the impression that I was looking at myself. I threw it back at him. He scooped it up delicately and placed it back in his wallet. He still had a crush on this woman. It flashed across my mind that he might see me as an obstacle between himself and Millie. I caught her sleepwalking once with it clutched to a chest. She didn't know I was following. Sometimes police training can be useful. What happened? We have a big house with three floors and several balconies. The south end where Denise and Millie slept overlooked Monday Forest. One night I watched Millie leave their bedroom walk out into the balcony and stare up at the moon. She'd done that a couple of times. One night, when she went out on a strange ritual, I crept into their bedroom with an old sword and hid in the closet. A sword? I just wanted to scare her, not kill her. I found that swords can kill. I must have waited an hour before I heard the bedroom door open. Even though it was a full moon, it was exceptionally dark in the room. Then I heard the door lock. I felt her past the closet, a gentle breeze, and I kicked the door open. I don't know exactly what I saw, but it looked like a great winged beast. I charged at it, and as it turned, it seemed to turn into Millie. I pour it down to the dark and continued playing tricks with my mind. She shrieked at me, and then she ran away that night, leaving everything she had behind. Before the morning, my daughter was... The word caught in his throat. Dead. He licked his lips nervously. The guy was a story of monsters and swords. I wished he still was drunk, then I could buy the monologue and see some sense. And yet... I went through the things you'd left behind. He continued. The photograph was one of them. 
There was also a piece of paper with the name Karnstein written on it. I checked the records. There had been a Karnstein hundreds of years ago. There was an address and something written in a foreign language, something I hadn't seen before. I went down to the church and searched through the graveyard. I met the gravedigger whose family had been running the place for generations. There were numerous interesting records, but they were based on popular thought rather than documented evidence. The gravedigger related a story written down by one of his ancestors saying that the tomb was relocated long ago by the town hero who vanquished Karnstein and her daughters who haunted the region. Vanquished? I had questions about that as well. They were words, stupid words from the mind of the uneducated. Yeah. Vampires. I rolled my eyes. Derek nodded. It's a fine fairy story, but... I've done some research if you're interested. I shook my head. Not even if it involves you. Everything involves me these days. I stood up. He had unfinished business with Lara, and I needed some help from someone from the right side of the sanity tracks. One thing still bothered me. How can I make you forget? Derek shrugged. I suspected you might be a hypnotist or one of those old herbalists who knows some strange concoction. I thought presenting my story to you would let me see how desperate I was to leave the past behind. I sighed. I grabbed him by the collar. I wasn't gonna let him get away with his stupid mistakes. I was gonna cement him into the past he let happen. Laura needs you. Come with me. She needs help. I nodded. I didn't want to tell him her symptoms, mainly because in my own head it opened up a whole bunch of questions that had no sane answer. I'm looking for someone who cares. I said. I pulled him out of the door and we made haste back to her apartment. She was in a bad way. Her face was pale and hollow. Derek's face nearly matched Lara's. That is what my daughter looked like before she... He couldn't finish and I couldn't blame him. Looking at Lara like this filled me with the same whirlpool of grief. She opened her eyes and looked at me. She held out her hand and I grasped it tightly. I sat next to her, stroking her head and tending to her fever. The time ticked past and Derek came and went with water and towels. I steadfastly held her hand and listened to her delirium. There was a knock on the door. I looked at Derek. I called a specialist doctor. He said. Someone I thought could help. He looked geographically guilty when he spoke. Telephone's working. I said. I went to the front door and swung it open. There was a nurse standing there straight out of the pages of a penny dreadful. Her white skirt was so short it barely covered her secrets. The front was unbuttoned so far I wondered why she had bothered. Her white mob cap emblazoned with a red cross held back the masses of black hair. I knew those curves. Yeah, I am the doctor that was called for. Where is the patient? I looked at her. She looked back. Her gaze didn't break. I had to give her credit for the sheer audacity. Quick, you must lead me to the patient urgently. I demand it. She clicked her fingers in the air. I led her through the impressive apartment into the bedroom to the pensive Derek and a barely conscious Lara. Derek's face lit up like he'd won the lottery, then fell as he took in the doctor's outfit. You're covered in a lot of blood for a doctor. I am the old-fashioned kind. Her eyes dropped to Lara. She moved to the bed and placed her palm on Lara's forehead. Ah, oh, the poor girl. I've 
seen this before. I must perform my test quickly to see how long she has. Please don't phrase it that way, Derek said. We must face the grim reality. She placed a large leather case on the bed and flicked open the latch. She pulled out various pieces of archaic equipment and an aggressive looking medical apparatus that she placed on the dresser. The last item out was a size 9 syringe. She'd held it skyward in one hand as she opened Lara's eyes and examined them closely. You're not gonna stab that into her eye, Derek said. He had a dreadful expression plastered across his face. No. She ran her medical eye down Lara's body and then returned her close attention to her face. Without looking up, she continued. I am ascertaining the best place to extract the sample. Of blood, not the other kind. Satisfied with her examination, she straightened up and lowered the syringe. She took a swab of the case and poured some medical alcohol onto it. A quick wipe on Lara's neck and she plunged the needle in. I must warn you. She started. A fountain of blood spurted up and hit Derek in the face. There is sometimes leakage, but don't panic. You probably won't be infected. Derek's face went into an apoplectic spasm as he tried in vain to shield himself. The spurt stopped and he wiped his face down with a handkerchief. The large syringe started to fill. He sighed. Another short jet squirted up and hit him in the face. He spluttered and wiped his face down again. The doctor filled another syringe. Her face was full of concentration. She coughed and another small jet landed in Derek's eye. Sorry. She said. She filled another syringe. Derek opened his mouth and managed. As yet another jet of blood squirted into his open mouth. I wouldn't swallow that if I was you. He spat out the blood into his blood-stained handkerchief. He rubbed it over his face, leaving more blood on it, and it cleaned off. Could you please not smile when you're doing that? He said. Sorry, I was unaware. She now had several small vials of blood. She put each one into the apparatus which spun the vials. She then crushed leaves and herbs into each one. I recognized garlic. She stood back and looked at the array of equipment perched on the dresser. She ran her eye over the line of red vials. Her face distorted into the cylinders. Now we fit. Doctor, I said. Yeah? Her focus remained fixed on the experiment in progress. May I speak with you? Speak away, young man. Follow me, please. I indicated for the demented medic to follow me. Everywhere in this apartment was open, allowing nowhere to have a discreet conversation. I went into the only room with a door. You want to speak to me in the bathroom? She said. Angelina, why are you? 